Warning. The Return of Snakeland podcast contains descriptions of sexual assault, suicide, and murder, as well as homophobic slurs. If you feel there is any possibility of triggering, please listen with caution. Brian, and it's time to return to Snakeland. I'm Jason Gusman, and tonight we are going to be speaking to Joe Canazaro, who is going to regale us with tales of uh, youth in Kenmore and rock and roll. So, uh, hi, Joe. Thank you very much for uh, for giving us some time tonight. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure to be here. Right on, right on. How did you uh, How did you start in music, Joe? Wow, that was a long time ago. Um, it was like 1979, 1980, and um, I was going to, um, maybe, yeah, somewhere around there. And I was going to, uh, I was at City Honors in 1977 um, in Buffalo. Mm. We lived in Buffalo. And uh, a friend of mine there wanted to start up a band. I ended up um, acquiring a bass, um, mm. and then that, that, um, that band never really never really took off so then we moved to kenmore um mm. and then uh once we moved to kenmore i found some found some some weirdos there and then we started up a band it was a couple i was with a group uh early on very early um with some friends called royal monkey piss that was the first one that i was oh my god <laughs> band. yeah rmp um and it's funny because i still know a couple of those guys that were in that band and that was a long time ago and then, um, and then Jello happened um, right after right. that, and then I was in Jello for thirty years, something like that. Crazy. For those of you who may not be familiar, Joe is referring to the band Green yeah. Jello, that later mutated into Green Jelly Indeed. and became impossibly popular. You know, <laughs> considering you know where where where, where things where things started with. Um, uh, Joe, I got, I got to, I got to ask you, um, just right, right away, just cause it's been, it's been, uh, it's been bugging me. Is that you with Bill Manspeaker in the green jello record mine commercial? <laughs> yes, it is. That is excellent. Is, excellent. That is Bill and me in that record mine commercial. That was a <laughs> 80, 82, 83, maybe something like that. I don't know when that was, but yeah, that was a long time ago. Sure. Sure. Yeah. No, it's it's great. You know, I mean, I think I think we make reference to it in the um, in episode uh, episode eight, actually. Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's talking about the uh, just the record mine in general, because I don't I don't know how, you know, Dave Olka, you know, roped you guys into that or how, how that worked out. But that was uh, that place was a really big deal 
for me and my friends um, as far as just the availability of of great records going to yeah. uh, going to West. I mean, Dave was a good dude. He was uh, mm-hmm. he's a friend to uh, just local bands in general. He would try, you know he tried everything to to help the local bands, and um, he helped us out a bunch. I mean, he put us in a commercial for his. For his for his record store, you know, I mean, he was, he was a good dude, sad that he's mm-hmm. gone, but he was a, he was a really good guy mm-hmm. and he had a great record store. You know, it was one of those places where he didn't care if you came in and spent money or if you just came in to hang out and chat for a couple hours, he was just a good dude. Absolutely. No, I yeah. couldn't, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Uh, Jason was singing his praises before as well. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I mean, the only drawback with, with Dave was that he, he'd always try to sell you on like some early fog hat record. Like, no, I don't fucking buy that. I want to buy my echo and the Bunnyman yeah. record and leave, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. But, but he was, you know, he was, he was such a great guy. And, yeah. and like, like I was, I, I had said in the, in the episode that Aaron's referring to, I mean, he wasn't a price gouger, you know, I, I bought, ton of great records for four bucks a piece mm-hmm. and i you know i'm still happy about that yeah yeah he uh he ran a good little business there and i think he went on to like um promote bands and stuff like that for a while i think that was after mm-hmm. i already left for los angeles but um right. but, uh, yeah i mean th- i don't know i don't know anybody that talks about that guy and has one bad thing to say about him you know everybody everybody liked him all the guys mm-hmm. that i know in bands that hung out in kenmore loved him um, the other people that own record stores loved them. Um, mm. You know oh, what I mean? That's really saying something, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I know, like the um, um, the people from Home of the Hits. Um, mm. Like I went to Dave's funeral, and you know, like Mary Martin was there from Home of the Hits, and there were a bunch of people from the different record stores, and they all they all loved sure. him. He was a good dude. No, that's that's, that's, great. that's great to hear. Actually, yeah. that's, that that there was that much mutual respect. Mm-hmm. Um, going on record stores, Joe. Uh, I wanted to ask you uh, if you can. You don't have to list everything, but what do you think is some of your biggest musical influences that got you started and wanting to to play music? Um, well, I mean, early on, it was um, you know just like the Ramones and and mm. you know, I mean, if those guys could pull off that kind of stuff, you know, we could mm-hmm. we could do it too. Um, right. Freeland, Mark Freeland was a huge influence huge mm-hmm. day. I mean uh but yeah like the Ramones, Devo, um mm-hmm. that all that early stuff, the clash, the pistols, that all that whole punk rock thing was mm-hmm. like, man, those guys don't really know what they're doing, but they their heart is in it and they're trying as hard as they can. And that was mm-hmm. that that sold it for me. And then I got to see a bunch of my like a bunch of my friends, my older friends starting bands and they were just kids. They were just people that I knew and they were doing right. it. They were playing at bands. They were playing, you know, Mang Park and all that stuff. And I said, mm. man, we can do that. We can do that. And I had a couple of little connections and then we got, we started to get playing, but yeah, it was, it was the, you know, the national, well, the international punk rock stuff that got me the Ramones, the dolls, Johnny Thunders, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. all that, all that stuff. Devo was big B-52s. They had a little bit of a goofy side to them, you know, but they were still right. doing stuff that nobody else was doing. Um, so, yeah, that was early on. That was it. Mm. No, that, that nice. makes that makes sense, too. I mean, just in terms of there being um, like a band like the B-52s or Devo being yeah. kind of an influence and just like being a little bit lighter, a little bit more of a sense of humor, you mm-hmm. know, because obviously that shows with uh, 
the green jello i mean from the yeah. from the ground <laughs> yeah. up but you know yeah. um you had you had mentioned the 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 ramones has been an influence um can you can you talk a little bit about what it was like opening for them <laughs> that was that was wild um mm. we were all roommates with um the promoter for that for that whole show bill Wuffle. He was a good okay. dude he's still around and facebook friends with him um and uh he we lived with him over on the on the west side over by buff state and he got us to open for a couple of he got us to open for Johnny Thunders, he got us to open for uh, for the Ramones, a couple other mm. couple other bands too. But um that was wild, man, because um we, we we rented a limo and uh, <laughs> we uh I, there were like like fifteen of us in this limousine and the limousine pulled in, it was the the, the show was outside and the limousine pulled mm. up on the grass and dropped us off like at the front of the stage. And wow. People went crazy because they thought it was going to be the Ramones. And I was just <laughs> up there getting out, of the, getting, out of the, getting out of the limo. And then we, you know, we, we went backstage. We got to see the Ramones a little bit. They were, they were, they kind of stayed away from us a little bit. Um, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as we were playing, I could see, you know, like a couple of them up there watching us. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was, that was pretty cool. That was a cool, that was a great day. There's video of that floating around on the on the web somewhere too. It's out there. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's something uh, me and me and Aaron uh, had had both checked out um, yeah. on, on YouTube, and um, and that's it's crazy. I mean, like I mean, because I I was there. I actually I was like oh, I, don't know, wow. I, I was like 14, and um, it was definitely my my first real punk rock show. Yeah. And and I was right up front for you guys. And, you know, and you watch it now and it's ridiculous. There's like 10 guys yeah. on stage. It's like a yeah. I mean, the, show or something. Yeah. You know, the cow god came out mm-hmm. on, a, on a moped with balloons tied to the moped and just like came out on stage and, 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 and did his song. I mean, it was we made a, we made such a mess and there was so much smoke and we just had people piled up on stage. Yeah, it was it was it was ridiculous. but yeah it was fantastic i remember we were walking down the stairs um somewhere in the backstage and there was dd ramon going down the Mm. stairs with us and that was like holy shit there's dd you know you know (laughs) punk rock god he was was the guy yeah yeah, it was it was cool it was cool that was a good one that's great um, I was going to ask you about uh, th- this. This this is just kind of as an aside, but I, I used to hear a lot about a place called the Death Ranch when I was like younger. When I was when I was at at West, and it was usually in reference to the Splat Cats. But I thought maybe uh, you guys in 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 you know, Green Jello might have like some link to that as well. I mean, I still haven't really figured out anything about it, you know, or what it was. Yeah, I don't know much about the. the- like we were friends with the Splat Cats. I mean, those guys were cool, mm-hmm. Dave Wolin and and you know all those those guys were really nice guys. But we mm-hmm. sort of ran in separate separate crowds a little bit from the from the Continental sure. there. So I never went to their you know maybe may, I mean maybe I was at one or two of their parties, but but we didn't we didn't hang out too much. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't I don't know much about the the Death Ranch. I remember hearing about it, but we were we were definitely in in a in, in different. I mean, in the same little club but like in different crowds you know what i mean does that make sense oh no sure i mean was was part of that like age related were you were you a little bit older than their group or was that not factored in 
I don't I don't think it was age related. I just think they were more in that like in that splat cat, I mean, you know, like that that type of music and we were more mm-hmm. we were just into crazier stuff. I don't know. I don't really know why we didn't why we didn't hang out more. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It just it just was a weird you know, there were a couple of crews that, you know, different different groups like the Goo Goo Dolls, they had their own they had their own world, sort of. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? We knew you know, I knew Johnny and Robbie back in the day. And they were, you know, nice guys, but they had their own, like, they were the goos. We were jello, you know, they were just mm-hmm. black. Like, you know, we'd, we'd see each other, you know, in the, on the patio at the, the Continental, but, you know, we would, uh, and then, you know, we, uh, you know, of course you went to go see each other's bands, but I, mm-hmm. the, I didn't really hang with those guys too much outside of, uh, outside of that. I gotcha. That's cool. Well, Joe, can you, can you tell us, um, obviously Green Jello became, became hugely successful at one point. And then they had to change their name, obviously, for the, uh, the, the copyright issue and whatever. But um, how were you still with them at that point? And um, just were you, were you just kind of uh, you know, part of the whole becoming successful aspect of Green Jello? We, we started here in like 1980. Um, and we were playing, you know, I mean, we played the Continental every couple of weeks. We did McVans. We did, you know, um, we played at the, at the Masonic Temple in Kenmore. And sure. We destroyed the YWCA and all that stuff. <laughs> um, but we, uh, we played here as much as we could. And then a couple of the members split for Los Angeles. And then a couple more left and a couple more left. And it just sort of fell apart. You know what I mean? And then mm. it was a whole while I was still here, like me and, and um, Mike Bloomquist and um, Rose were still here in Buffalo, Jello mm. got together out in Los Angeles with like, you know, like with Jim Laspiza, who was one of the, you know, one of the original four with me, um, okay. you know, like Bill Tutton, Manspeaker, um, mm. CJ, a lot of those guys got together out in Los Angeles and they started playing clubs out there while a few of us were still here. So they started getting a, a buzz going in L.A., um, and then I moved out to Los Angeles. Uh, then Rootin moved out there and Rose moved out there and Greg moved out there. But like my first show that I did with Jello in Los Angeles was at the whiskey, which was pretty, <laughs> pretty That's amazing. Wild. Um, uh, so when I got there, um, there was some turmoil in the band that I didn't really know anything about. Um, and then all of a sudden, like a bunch of those guys quit and then, Bill was like, dude, if you want in, we're going to start doing some crazy shit real soon. And I'm like, I'm just working at a record store. I'm in, man. So, um, <laughs> you know, it just kind of, you know, we, I moved to L.A. And and then uh, I, don't know, I worked for like a year and a half um, at the record store. And I was at a film library. Just, you know, me and my wife were out there just uh, just trying to survive and have some fun. We, you know, all my high school buddies were out there. Um, mm-hmm. And then it just it just kind of it just started taking off. You know, we did the videos and um, it just, it just went, it just went crazy all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. It was wild. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it was like, they're like two, there's like three versions and now there's like 600 versions, but at the time there were like three versions of Jello. There was that original, you know, that original Kenmore scene. Then there was that, mm-hmm. you know, and there were, you know, variations on that but then there was that that los angeles thing and they were cool i mean those guys had a lot of fun and they had some Mm -hmm. great ideas um but then like i said a lot of them split and then there was the the one that was like like that band was solid when we were touring we were we were 
we were doing our thing. That was a good band. It uh, uh, and like when you were out there in Los Angeles and you're in those shows, are they what are what are people thinking of you guys as you're up there doing those wild, you know, costumes? <laughs> and, hmm. Well, in Los Angeles, I mean, they thought it was cool. We did, you know, we we went to, we'd go to like San Francisco, we'd go to Arizona, we'd go to San Diego, we'd tour, just, you know, hop in a van and go up and down the coast, um, Seattle, shit like that. And um, that's when we had like Danny Carey from Tool was our drummer. Um, Maynard Tool was, you know, he would show up every once in a while. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I mean, those shows were incredible. And I mean, people, people really liked it. They, they really enjoyed it. They, they got the joke. They had fun. They jumped mm. around, had a good time. Um, mm. When we were on tour with Testament, um, that was a crazy band to hook us up with. Those guys were awesome. They were really cool. It was a Testament and a band called Propane. We toured the mm. whole U.S. Um, and it was, that's just when the pig song was, was taken off. Mm. And, uh, we played like every night for months and months. It was crazy. And, um, we were in front of these bands that were, I mean, like these hardcore metalheads, hardcore. <laughs> right. um, and they, they didn't know what to do with us. I mean, you know, all this, <laughs> like this, you know, this cow God would come out and then I'd come out wearing a dress and then Gary would come out with his pinata head and they didn't know what to do. So we, 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 we ended up doing like a Black Sabbath medley as like our third song. And they, oh, nice. they fucking loved us after that. I mean, once you hit, <laughs> them, hit those, hit those, you know, we used to call them the cat killers. Once you hit those cat killers with a Black Sabbath medley, they're in, man. They love you. They love so you, you shocked them, and then <laughs> and then you gave them something they wanted. Yeah, yeah, and it and the band was tight, man. And so they could pull off mm. a Black Sabbath medley. It was, it was great. Nice. It was right. fun. Yeah. Joe, I gotta ask, uh, why cat killers? They're just like those kids. I mean, that you you know that those, those hardcore metal kids that you know <laughs> are you know I don't know that you know just killing cats in their backyard somewhere. Which, I know. <laughs> right. Which brings us to Snakeland, but no. That's okay. we, got, we, got more, we got more music questions for you before that, but that's all right. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. yeah, but those kids, I mean, you know, not that they, they, I don't think they were really cat killers. They were, they yeah. ended up being really nice to us. They'd come backstage. They'd say, you got, I don't know what the hell to think you guys for those first couple songs. You did that Sabbath thing. It's fucking great. And I was loving you after that, so it was it, it worked out really well. That's hilarious. awesome. Yeah. I, I I got it. And the other thing, since you just brought it up, I mean, you were playing so many shows, and you're saying like almost every night you're playing. I mean, is that exhausting or is it more exhilarating? I mean, I'm sure at a at a young age you're probably just this is amazing. This is what you know what's all about. But it's got to still wear thin, right? I mean, it was. I mean, it was. It was fantastic. Um, it was hard work because we were, I mean, we had, you know, like we had a sound guy, we had a guitar tech, we had, but we had, I mean, we basically brought a whole friggin' city with us. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we had to have a whole stage show. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had to put all that stuff up and take all that stuff down. So it was a lot of work, but it was, I mean, we were a, you know, for a couple of years, man, we were a rock, a touring rock band that didn't, we didn't have to work, you know? And, um, mm-hmm. and we just went and played shows every night and it was with, I mean, there were, four, five people in that band that went to West with me, you know? Um, so they were like my high school friends and they were all really good friends that I had. And we, we had a, we had a fucking blast. We loved it. It was hard work and we got, you know, everybody got sick and you, you know, you got the, right. you got bullshit from the record company and you know, the whole, the whole deal, but it was a dream come true. It really was. It was fantastic. It was, you know, That's we awesome. played big rock shows every night. And then we did Europe, right. Europe, like one and a half times. We did the U S 
you know, one and a half times. Um, we played a bunch of little shows. We were, we were, we were, we were, we were doing all right for a while. But the, the, on the Testament tour, the pig song took off. And then they started pulling in all the off days with other shows. Is what happened. Uh, we had a bunch of all okay. kids uh, scheduled originally on the tour, but then that pig song took off. And then they were like, we can squeeze you in here. We can squeeze you in here. So mm. we did it. Wow. Hey. You know, and that's and that's cool. I mean, I don't I don't know if you guys felt that way at the time, but I mean, it just that, you know, the fact that that the pig song was happening must have just seemed like kind of a, you know, I mean, hard work. Sure. But a little miraculous that that song was at the fucking like top of the charts. It was I mean, I don't know the exact details of it, but all I know is that when I put on MTV, it was on MTV. Every yeah. single time, every yep. day, you know, and uh, I mean, that's that's crazy. I mean, that's yeah. like, you know, like Michael Jackson numbers or something like that. You know, it's some some level of, you know, far beyond just like a regular, you know, like you know, dirt punk, you know, metal type <laughs> band, you know, yeah. I mean, for real. So it's uh, yeah, I mean, we were, you know, we were shocked when when that that song took off the way it did and, and the way it did and, you know, how. We just chased it for, you know, for, for a couple of years. Um, it was, you know, it took off. I forget where it was up in Seattle or something like that. The, the guy up there, one of the radio stations started playing it and then the radio, then it took off. That guy told two guys and those two guys told four mm-hmm. guys and those four guys told eight guys and it just mm-hmm. took off across the country. And then there was some club owner in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania that just loved it. And our, like our first big, thing was he flew us all out to Harrisburg to play a couple of shows and we ended wow. up two shows um and we played with the band live yeah um, I was gonna say I was I thought Harrisburg I was like that's got to be live right yeah and we one night we opened for them um and then one night they opened for us and they just they did not like us we were, nah. just, we, were, <laughs> we, were we were just too stupid for them we were just too crazy we were too dumb they were very serious and we were very dumb and they, they just, <laughs> we did not get along. They wouldn't talk to right. us. They wouldn't say shit to us. But we had that's a, hilarious because yeah. they they yeah. seemed like a band that took themselves way too seriously. Yeah, yeah. They were, and it was such a weird, you know, such a weird combination of, of bands. But the, the promoter threw it together, and I mean, the place was, I mean, it was packed. It was our first big, you know, rock star moment. Well, I, yeah, I got to tell you, Joe, as because I'm a bit younger, and uh, that song came out when I believe I was still in high school, and yeah. uh, it was. I mean, I went to West, and people were just like, you know, bouncing off the walls that that's <laughs> that you know, you guys were from the West, yeah. you guys are from the Kenmore area, and then mm-hmm. you guys made made it big time. I mean, people just were like, you know, it, it was. Believe me, it was like everywhere. So yeah, <laughs> it was pretty cool at the time. And I mean, your name was everywhere. That's for wow. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Sure pretty. Thing. Pretty cool. But how how does that how does that what does that do to you when you're that level of success? I mean, like, this band is everyone still cool with each other, or things start people getting weird, or what? Well, I mean, it was cool um, while we were on tour. Everything was great. We did Europe. We did the U.S. Then we got back and um, things started to just kind of like slowly unravel, um, you know, like egos, drugs, all that. Like, uh, like we did all the typical rock and roll shit. We signed really bad deals. We mm-hmm. gave away a ton of money. You know, we had drugs involved. We had 
egos involved and you had fights. I mean, it was, you know what I mean? It's like full on like spinal tap only, you know, you're, you're living it. It's not, it's not just, you know, you're not watching a movie. It's your, it's your life. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, it, it started to crumble. Um, we were working on a second album and, uh, and things started to slowly unravel. And then, um, a couple of big, you know, a couple of people left, went off to do other stuff. A couple of people decided to sue us. Um, mm. then we, mm. you know, the lawsuits came in. Um, right. and then, um, we, we, we opened up a, uh, 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 before the second album came out, we convinced the record company, um, to get us a production company in Los Angeles. And we had our own, um, we had this huge soundstage right on, right on um, Sunset Boulevard. And, um, mm. we had this big production company with edit bays and offices and all this shit. And, um, we did all our videos there. Mm-hmm. And then we started renting the place out after that. But, um, we did everything, all those videos from the 333 album were all done by us. We did everything, the lighting, the set construction, set design, everything. And that's the one um, that we were nominated for a Grammy for, for best, wow. um, best long-form video. Nice. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Peter Gabriel took it from us. <laughs> that asshole. Yeah, he's a fucking <laughs> What are you going to do, man? Fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah. But that, you know, that was, and that, that, that second album, is when is when things started to crumble, and then um, we tried keeping it alive for a while, but it just it just it just kept going, um, kept going down, down, down. Right. People were leaving, and I mean, I remember one day I showed up at practice, and it was like four guys that I, four or five guys that I didn't know. Um, it was a Sunday mm-hmm. afternoon. All these guys were sitting around drinking like diet coke and shit, and I was like, this isn't, this just isn't what I want to do anymore. I don't want to. <laughs> I want to be here on a Sunday afternoon drinking. Diet Pepsi playing rock music. It's just not what it's supposed to be. So that was like one of the last yeah. last things. Then we did the production company thing for a little while. That worked for a while. And then, and then it just it just it just took a shit. Joe, are, do you do you have any um any present affiliation with with Green Jelly? I'm I'm asking just because that uh, um, I'm not sure where we heard this, but we had heard from somebody that uh, Manspeaker has various like groups of like people that he just plays with as Green Green Jelly when when you know like in different different parts of the country and things. But I don't know if any of that's true. I don't know if any of that is. Uh, you know, in relation to you at all, like if, if they played it somewhere in this area, if you would, you know, join in, but no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't join in, but, um, <laughs> that's a, they, do we have, I haven't talked to him in a long time. Um, we had a falling out, you know, it's just, it's just what happens. Um, but mm-hmm. from what I understand, he, he travels around the country with a couple costumes. Um, he gets local bands to back him. Um, uh. and he, you know, he shows up, he, he plays a show, and then he either flies on to the next one or he goes back home. Um, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't been in contact with him in a long time. I just hear a couple, you know, crazy stories to the grapevine. Um, but no, they've, they've been here a couple times. They come to do uh, music is music is art. They've done that a couple of sure. times and I haven't, I haven't shown up for those. It's a whole different world now. It's a very different thing than what we did. Right. It's a whole different thing. I don't want anything to do with it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. 
But just uh, just to to back it up to the the Kenmore days, is there is there anything other than that um, the Let It Be uh, record that actually documents like Green Jello during that that you know super early period? I, I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I think that's about it. There, there's there's mm-hmm. a few videos around, um, um, like the I mean, the Continental used to videotape everything. And that box of tapes, it lives somewhere. Um, you know, every right. band that was there, they played like they would play. They had a couple cameras on the stage, one or two, and then they would, you know, play the play it up on the up in the upstairs. They played on the big screen in the back, and they recorded right. everything. They recorded everything. They just pressed, you know, like a six-hour VHS. You know what I mean? They just hit record. Mm-hmm. It was shitty quality, but a lot of that stuff lives somewhere. Um, so there's and then Manspeaker always had a he had a uh, a video recorder like way early on one of those ones that you know it was like a friggin' suitcase um, and uh, he may have some still from back then but like the only one that I that's that's that you know that I know of really is that that let it be okay gotcha yeah cool I've got a little kind of interstitial question for you. Your uh, your avatar on LinkedIn is Big Daddy Ross Ratfink. Is this your way of telling the world that you refuse to grow up? <laughs> I guess I guess so. Or I just really, or I just really like Ratfink. Um, yeah, I mean, I was I was I was Ratfink for Halloween when I was like five years old. So he's been wow. he's been in my life for a long time. Um, yeah, but I've just loved him. I've just loved him forever. Forever. Excellent. That's cool. Excellent. Very nice. Very nice. Now, Joe, can I ask you? Now, when you when you when you guys moved to California and and things pretty much like had tanked as far as uh, Jello went at that point, how did you, how did you end up getting involved with with uh, iWorks and DreamWorks Animation? I guess after that. Well, the the stuff that I was doing um, at Jello. Kind of mm. after the, the music had sort of stopped, um, we were a production company, um, and we had we rented out our studios, we rented out our our, uh, our edit bays, and you know whatever we could rent out, we rented out. Um, and I kind of ran that for a few years. Um, and in that process, I made a lot of connections. I met a lot of people. I, I talked to a lot of people. Um, and then when the when the shit hit the fan, and I had to leave. Um, I called on a bunch of those people and they gave me jobs. Um, and like my, my little brother, David, he, uh, he turned into like an art director. He was working on a bunch of different TV shows. So he would hire me. Then I would hire him when I would get freelance stuff. So I just jumped into the freelance world. I mean, we had a guy there, Anthony Dota, who, um, at the Jello studio who was going through, uh, like film school. And he had a, I mean, we had like a, I forget how big that stage was, but it was huge. And mm-hmm. we'd let him play there all the time. You know, he could go and just monkey around with lights and I'd work with him and he did all of our videos. And then he would hire me after the thing ended, you know. Um, so just making connections and, and learning stuff from the, from the production world. Um, I met just different people. Um, you know, the iWorks thing was, 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 was kind of crazy. Um, we did a Daytona USA, Daytona Speedway. We did a ride simulator. Um, going around the track and I was the associate mm-hmm. producer for the film of that. So I got into some crazy shit after, I mean, the freelance world out in Los Angeles, you end up on some crazy, crazy stuff. 
but I work with some really cool people. And it was all from the basically from the connections I made while Jello was a production company. That's how all that. And then my my wife worked at DreamWorks, um, and like the oh, recession, okay. yeah, the recession hit, um, and the work just dried up. And she said, I think I can get you in, you know, over here at DreamWorks if uh, you know if you want. And I was like, damn, yeah. Mm. So she ended up, you know, getting me the gig at DreamWorks, and then uh, I was the uh, the videographer for the studio. So uh, whenever, okay. whenever they needed something, you know, it was before everybody had a had a high definition camera in their pocket. Um, you know, we had to rent equipment and go out and film stuff. So I did that for the studio, for the training department, and then for, for DreamWorks for a couple of years I was there. All yeah, right. it was a good gig. I mean, I worked on like Shrek 2 and Flushed Away. And, um, oh, very yeah, cool. a couple of other big ones. Very- that yeah. would impress my grandchildren very much, you see. So, yeah, no, I, obviously this is of, of great worth. So, yeah. Um, I, I did, uh, as a, as a follow-up, um, it's a, you mentioned your brother, David, did he follow you out to California, you know, like after you'd paved the way with Jello and stuff, or was that unrelated? No, he came out first. My brother, Louie went out. My older brother was out there. Oh, um, wow. Okay. Yeah. He went early, earlier than us. He was in New York city for a long time. And he moved out to Los Angeles. Then, um, my wife and I went and then, um, David followed not too soon thereafter. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. And I mean, David came out when Jello was, was hitting. Like it was, and we were like, dude, we can give you a job. We can hook you up. We can get you some shit. And, um, he came out and he started doing, um, he was working with the animation, um, mm-hmm. with Scott Nordland and Rose Matry and do, you know, working in the animation stuff. And he was just one of those guys who just do whatever, you know, he just wanted to work. We, you know, we could pay him. So he ended up, um, learning how to be like an art director and a set designer and a production designer. And now that's, that's what he does now, now out in Los Angeles, a production designer. Art oh, okay. Really well. okay. I gotcha. Yeah. 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 I, um, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know Dave in, uh, in, uh, in high school, but yeah. I knew of him because he was always hanging out with, uh, the hottest girl who ever attended Kenmore <laughs> West. And, uh, and I was like that, Bella must have something to <laughs> have brought that lady into his orbit. And yeah. uh, I found out later is because he had great musical taste, but you know, who knew, you know, who knew yeah. that would have worked? You know? I mean, Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. But yeah. You know, anyway, he's, he's the, uh, he's, <laughs> he's the better man for it. So, you know, either way. <laughs> I guess the follow up then to that Joe would be, when you came back to Buffalo and, and the same question that I, I went out to California for about three years and then I ended up coming back and people would always ask me, why did you come back? You know, so I'll ask you the same annoying question. Well, I mean, we were, my wife and I were doing great up there. We were having a really, I mean, we were having a ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we started to, you know, we're like, well, we're just sort of, you know, we were living in Hollywood. We were, you know, we both had good jobs. We were doing really well. Um, and then my daughter came along. And we, uh, we wanted to, uh, you know, we tried to see if we could stick it out out there, figure out how we were going to do it, um, you know, with our jobs and and all that. But, um, it was just the prices for housing and where we were going to have to live was going to be ridiculous. Like we had always said, if, you know, I didn't move to Hollywood to live like a hundred miles outside of Hollywood, like in some weird suburbs, you know what I mean? Like it could do that anyway. So right. if we weren't going to be able to live in Hollywood, then, you know, we could, we should, we should go somewhere else. So we, we looked at schools. I mean, you know, just your, your, your whole 
perspective on life changes when you have a this little person that's going to rely on you for the rest of their lives. Um, right. So, you know, it just spun us around a little bit and we were like, we don't really need to be here. And I don't, you know, I think we can do a better job of raising a kid if we go back to Buffalo. And we were both like, holy shit, did we just say that out loud? <laughs> like that was not a thing that we, <laughs> we ever thought we would do, you know? So, uh, but we, you know, we looked around, we looked all over Los Angeles, you know, like South Pasadena where the schools are really good. I mean, we looked at a, like a condo that was, it was like literally above the railroad tracks. Um, there were oh people God. standing like under the window waiting for the, waiting for the train. And, you know, it, it was a one bedroom, uh, a two bedroom, one bath condo. It was like $750,000 in South Pasadena because oh the schools were good. We were like, no, fuck this. Wow. So when we look at housing in Buffalo, we're like, holy shit, giving them yeah. away there. Yeah. And then, um, you know, we just, we made the decision. And I have, like my wife has a lot of family here. I have a lot of family here. You know, my mom is here. I had a lot of aunts and uncles. Um, and then, I mean, now I, I mean, I, I live in the suburbs. My, you know, my daughter's straight A student. She's about to go to UB. I mean, it's you know, we we, mm -hmm. we made the right decision. But it was all family. It was all you know based on we left Los Angeles to uh, to basically give our daughter a, a better life than we thought we could give oh, her. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah, and you, when you have those kids, and you realize that you know having your mom and dad or grandpa and grandpa over to help once in a while is, is, yeah. is much needed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was huge to have, you know, my mom could go pick her up from school and they would go out and have lunch. You know what I mean? Just, and then they'd mm -hmm. go to my aunt and uncle's house, my aunt's and uncle's houses, just, you know, the family around was fantastic. It was huge. Yeah. So, Joe, we uh, we spoke over the weekend on the phone. And you were like, yeah, I had, you know, obviously you had uh, been to the actual area of Snakeland during those times. And without incriminating you or anybody else, could you tell us about the party scene of Snakeland? Like, like verbally lay it out for people so they understand what was happening, because a lot of mystery going on for a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a it was a really weird place to hang out. Like it was, you know, the other side of the tracks, it was behind all the businesses and stuff on, you know, off of military there in Kenmore by the, by the grain elevators and all that shit. But, mm -hmm. um, we heard people were hanging out back there, you know, my, you know, my friends and I, we were like, well, let's go check it out. And we went back there and it was like, I mean, just nobody gave a shit what you did back there. I mean, we did crazy <laughs> stuff and the cops never came. Like, wow. I mean, which is wild for Kenmore. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. yeah. you, know, you know, you, you make a left turn without turning your blinker on, you got six cops on you. So, yeah. um, you know, to be able to just, just hang out back there. And, um, I mean, you know, we partied like crazy. We had, I mean, we had bonfires that were like, I mean, the fire must've gone up like 20 feet in there. We were burning railroad ties for Christ's sake, you know? Wow. And, and I mean, uh, just nobody, they just didn't care. The trains would go by and see us. They just didn't care. I mean, I never went up in the in the grain elevators. That was really scary to me. A lot of kids went up there. A lot of kids died up there. Um, yeah, I never did that because it just it scared the shit out of me. But we went up there. We went back there a lot for maybe two summers, I think, something like that. We went back there. We went back there a bunch. And and that's that area. It's on the opposite side of the tracks from uh, the grain elevators, like that little wooded area where the it was the like track. We would go in. Right near where Tetzel Brothers was, 
Yeah. Remember where that place was? Mm-hmm. Like, Absolutely. Even one of those little side streets, I don't remember exactly where it was, but the grain elevators, like when we were, I guess, looking west, the grain elevators were to our right, and then I don't know what was to our left. I don't know what. I guess like American Brass or something was up that way. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah. there, I mean, there was just nothing. There was nothing back there. It was just, mm-hmm. you know, a desolate, bizarre. And it had that. It had a little uh, ditch or creek that ran through it, that area. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm only curious as to the landscape because that's um, where I – because, you know, everyone – this is a misconception, I, I suppose, but it's all lumped together is that Snake Land was the grain elevators. But a lot of people were like, that's not technically where Snake Land was. That was off to the side. Yeah, and... that was like off to the to like to like the north of, of... – where my understanding was snake land. Right. Snake land was just like these, I, I guess now, you know, you call them like brown fields, right? Uh, right, they, exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. The, the trains, you know, there were train cars all over the place. We'd go sit in, the, you know, the, they'd park the train cars there. It was just desolate, man. You know, like eight, nine o'clock, and we'd be there till four o'clock in the morning. And just nobody wow. cared, you know? Mm, yeah. It's you know, funny I mean, that there were I mean, any rail workers, too. Yeah, they, they I mean, we, the trains would go by and see a 20 foot high bonfire. I mean, and we'd think, well, cops are coming in a couple minutes, but nothing. Nothing. Really? I mean, we, you know, it's not like we were, you know, like discreet. We'd walk back from, you know, the store, from wherever, with, you know, a case of beer and whatever we had. <laughs> we're going back behind these buildings to party tonight. And that's where we went. And, the, like, on a, on a good night, how many people do you think would actually be out there? in that, in that area, like partying? Well, in my little crew, we'd probably have like maybe 10 or 15, um, okay. you know, that would just show up. And then, you know, you'd see, you'd see a couple, you know, other little crews passing by the, passing by the tracks and stuff, but there were mm-hmm. different, you know, you know, there were, there were definitely different crowds that went up there for different reasons. Mm. Um, you know, some kids, you know, like wanted to take acid and go up in the grain elevator, you know, that, that, Oof, that was, that was, that That's wasn't terrifying. my thing. You know to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah. wasn't my thing. Um, so you know, then there were the, um, then the, like the heads were down in another space, and we found our little spot in Snake Land where we thought we were we were cool. Wow. So there was just different groups that were all kind of like doing their own separate things and and moving around. <laughs> Yeah, and that, I would think they'd be more intermingling, but it wasn't the case at all. They were, I mean, maybe here and there, but yeah, that they're more just like your friends are hanging with your friends, and their friends are hanging with their friends. And yeah, I mean, it was like some of the kind of like scenes out of like the Lost Boys, like that, just that weird. I don't know. It's just you know, like you're just in this weird field. You just did it. Like all of a sudden, you're in a whole other world. Trains flying by. It was, it was crazy. Crazy, and. So Jason and I have talked about this in length uh, in, yeah. in previous episodes, but it was uh, the idea that there are satanic practices going on. Um, had you seen anything like other than just, you know, the pentagram sprayed on the side of, you know, the, the grain elevators and stuff like that. But had you ever seen anything even remotely like that? No. Um, I mean, I saw the I saw the graffiti and I knew the guys that did the graffiti and they were just. I mean, they were just goofballs like we were. I mean, I think what ended up happening is somebody listened to too many Aussie songs one night while they were up there wasted and they spray painted something on the wall. And then all of a sudden people were like, holy shit, there's Satanists back there. And, the, mm-hmm. you know, the next kid was like, shit, 
I'm going to paint something up there too, see if I can get a reaction yeah. from the, from the parents. And then Absolutely. they, come. But, I mean, I knew a lot of those guys that were up there, um, you know, like a lot of the, you know, the heads crowd and whoever mm-hmm. was up there. Those, those, they were just kids. They were, I mean, I'm sure somewhere in there, somebody was like, I love Satan. You know what I mean? But most of them, <laughs> were just, most of them were just goofballs listening to Ozzy and Black Sabbath and Judas mm-hmm. Priest and, you know, just, you know, so they're like just we would, like yeah. we would paint like you know the the punks. You know, you paint an anarchy sign on the wall. You don't you don't really want anarchy. <laughs> you know, what I mean? like, you don't really want that. You just think it looks cool. You know, so I think it was the same the same shit. Those guys weren't really right. Satanists. They just you know right. they found a way to get a rise out of somebody. And, you know, mm-hmm. it looked. I mean, the, the you know it's a cool symbol. Right. And, and, you know, like, I I mean, I understand that it's like, you know, the, uh, it's, it's cool. The iconography, the whole thing that you're like, wow, you know, this is kind of fun. And you're, you're obviously you're, you're mimicking certain things that are happening in your musical sphere or what you're seeing or taking in, you know, and then you're just regurgitating it in your own way. Did you, did you know about like at the time that the people were really getting freaked out by the idea that Satanism was happening back there? Was that even on your radar? Yeah. I mean, we had heard that, um, you know, like in the, I don't remember where we heard it, the news or something that there was, you know, there were, you know, there was Satan stuff going on back there. And I mean that—that yeah. that may have intrigued us to go back there even more. <laughs> I see sure. these guys, you know. Um, but sure. yeah, I mean, we knew the stories that went on about that place. But we went back there. We never had any trouble. I mean, you know, I mean, besides the trouble we gave ourselves. Um, but you know, we <laughs> never had any any issues with any of the guys back there. I mean, we were all in these weird, different little cliques, um, mm-hmm. and you know they. There were times where, you know, shit got stupid, but overall, um, we were just a bunch of kids back there just looking for a place to have some fun. Right. You know, Penmore right. being so strapped down, you know, you can't, you can't do shit anywhere. All of a sudden there was this place where you could just go do whatever you wanted, you know, and it was three, you know, four or five blocks from your house. Nobody cared what you did. <laughs> it was a big deal, you know? And, and did, did you, I mean, were there actually any, like, I'm sure it didn't happen all the time, but were there ever any like altercations between certain groups that would be uh, passing their way through the snake land, you know, to party? Like people don't freaking like each other for one reason or other, or. Um, I mean, not that I saw, not that I saw. Still, there were rumors about stuff going on, but if, I mean, you know, like if the, if the head crowd was going to their thing and they were passing Mm -hmm. by our world, you know, we'd Mm -hmm. pass them whatever we had and they'd, hang out for a minute and they'd move on to where they were going. You know what I mean? I mean, we weren't, gotcha. there was no, like that Kenmore crowd. Most of the, I mean, like I said, we were just a bunch of kids, you know I mean? Right. There was, yeah. you know, they, some of them were tough guys and they had to show off, you know, punk rock faggots and all that stuff. But it was, uh, you know, it was once you got out there, most of them were pretty cool. I mean, they didn't, they didn't really want to, mm-hmm. want to hurt you. you know? right. And if, gotcha. you, if you were, you know, if you're like, Hey man, what's going on? You know, they weren't like, Hey, fuck you. I want to kick your ass. <laughs> it was, you know, you, you, you know, you respect them. They respect you. It, it was, it, we never had any trouble back there. That's right on. Yeah. Well, that's cool. And yeah, because uh, when we read some of those reports from the Buffalo news, they were like, there was like 90 kids congregating back there. <laughs> and that there was, uh, you know, obviously yeah. um, people talking like, you know, chanting Satan and obviously sacrificing animals and, right. you know, and Jason and I read 
when we were reading the articles and talking, discussing it on our previous episodes in the podcast, it was sort of just like, come on. I mean, like, I, yeah. there's probably kids there, but 90, and they're all chanting Satan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I said, we were back there a lot, and I didn't see any anything like that. I mean, I mm. really didn't. Um, you know, and I saw a lot of different kids pass through, and, you know, mm. my friends, none of us were. You know, one time we saw the blimp, we chanted something to the blimp. You know, the Goodyear blimp went over, but that was about the only <laughs> chanting that went on. I think we all stuck our foot in the fire for the blimp or some stupid shit. You could, you know, you could, you could, you could call that whatever you want. Um, but I mean, that's just how stupid it, you know what I mean? We were just mm-hmm. back there mm-hmm. having a good time. But no, I didn't see any, I never saw, you know, animals get killed. I never saw, you know, mm-hmm. Satan worshiping types or whatever whatever i didn't see any of that stuff doesn't mean it didn't happen but i just didn't see it you know what i mean i was back there uh, yeah around. but still i mean we we haven't spoken to i mean thus far in the the podcast we haven't talked to anybody who's um who's actually been back there for uh who were partying themselves and especially like yeah. yourself who was not like you know a self-identified head or anything like that you know by the sure. time that that i got to i got to west pretty much like snakeland had become like almost entirely like head identified, you know, it's like, and if someone like me or even Aaron had gone back there, we'd get our asses kicked. Yeah. However, um, you know, it really wasn't much of an issue cause I wasn't going to go back there anyway, but it did, it became an issue after, uh, Kathy got murdered. And yeah. then, you know, it's yeah. like, I mean, like, cause before then it was just like, you know, that's the place the heads go. You know I mean? It was just, there wasn't a question about Satan. There wasn't a question about murder. Yeah, it was just that's where right. the heads go, you know. Yeah, I mean that's that's where they went. You know, that's who was mainly back there were those guys, right? But we just, you know, I mean, I guess I don't know. And like in the very early days of you know, like me being a punk at the school, um, you know, you get you know people throw shit at you and they mm-hmm. call you names and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of those guys a couple years later were you know, hey Joe, how's it going? You know, I mean, one of my good friends that I still know to this day, I was in small engine repair class sitting there doing nothing just being my you know had my shaved head i was a little punk rock kid he slapped me on the back of the head called me a punk rock faggot and laughed and went off with his friends and Mm -hmm. i i see that guy all the time he's a super good friend of mine now and i tell him all the time i go dude remember it was why you always got to remind me of that that's a horrible day in my life i hate that i did that but you know like we we kind of because you know you know i mean some of those guys were pretty mean back then but i mean you don't really sure grudge and i mean we could hang out with those guys i don't know if it was because you know we were in a band or or what it was but we didn't we we got along with a lot of those guys yeah no i just it's i I think i think really what ended up kind of changing things was um and of course aaron and i have discussed this you know quite a bit as well but just the very idea that punk and metal by the time that you know, I was, I was, you know, like in 10th grade. So it'd be like 85. That's when, you know, obviously Kathy and all that stuff was happening. Right. Um, it was very different from by the time, like, you know, like uh shoot, you know, like a little bit later than that, when thrash metal is getting faster and faster and there's all these yeah. crossover bands and then Nirvana hits and it's all yeah. over. It's yep. all over. There's no distinguishing, you know, punk from metal, except for like, obviously subgenres like you know like death metal or something like that but sure. he had cannibal corpse for that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah by the time i got i mean like I, I we talked in our previous episode by that point um 
not that there weren't heads, not that there weren't like alternative punk heads, but it had totally changed. You know, that, that, that level of hostility over music, the tribalism over music had seemed to dissipate and not that it wasn't totally gone, but wasn't as severe, at least in my experience. Yeah. I mean, it was rough for a little while. I mean, you know, being, you know, like one of the first punk rockers at, at like Kemo Jr. I mean, that was, that was fucked up. They were, they were not Mm -hmm. nice. Um, mm-hmm. but, right. and then moving into West, you know, some of them were, I mean, they just, they just couldn't, they just didn't like it. They just didn't like it. But then we mm-hmm. found our own, you know, like we found our own people, you know, like, I mean, the older kids sure. saw me and they were like, this little kid here has got trouble. You know, the older, mm-hmm. you know, punk rockers, Bill Tutton and, you know, CJ and, and, you know, Meg Service and whoever else, John Fremming, those guys. And they, mm-hmm. they were like, Hey man, what you, you know, like be my friend you know what i mean like we were all weirdos so we sort of created our own our own little world and then they couldn't they couldn't mm-hmm. help us yeah really i think cool. i think we all ultimately helped each other through you know mm-hmm. like whatever misfits were going i'm sure it was the same thing with um you know aaron you had talked about the kids who were like first like really into hip-hop when that yeah. started happening and it's like i i can only imagine what those guys were called but yeah. you know it's like they totally yeah. had to like watch each other's backs in order to just yeah. survive west at that point so right yeah yeah it, but that was yeah it was a huge influx of that and there were so many people who got into rap and hip hop uh mm-hmm. especially you know early 90s and uh you know late 80s um that it was it was and there was like there was a bit of like a a toughness to it, you know, that you could put behind it. So it wasn't like you had to be like, um, you know, like if you were some alternative kid and like, you liked the cure, you know, well, Mm -hmm. yeah, you were going to get your ass beat, you know? Um, (laughs) so yeah. So that's crazy, but it's very, very interesting. And, uh, um, the tribalism uh, scene in Kenmore is just, it's so bizarre, but it's so real. It's, you know, uh, it's like, um, it's like the sharks and the jets from, uh... <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, or the mods yeah. and the rockers, and, you know, yeah, you know, the, the, another, the heads you know. never dressed as cool as any of those guys. They were just no, they were not as cool as the mods or the jets or any of those. You know, they were just <laughs> the flannel shirt and the you know the the, the work boots. It's not, it doesn't have that that look. You know what I mean? Right, right. No, there's no, no, there's no glamour. Doesn't. Yeah, yeah. So, but. Um, Joe, can I ask you a little bit about about Kathy? Absolutely, man. Yep. All right, right on. Okay. Now you weren't you weren't primarily you didn't primarily know know Kathy. You knew her sister, correct? Right. Yeah, I was really good friends with Jennifer, and knowing oh. Jennifer and her family, her mom, her dad, um, I you know, Kathy was just always there. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, little sister thing. She was always hanging around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so you were obviously then you were already friends with uh, with Jennifer by the time like her 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 dad died in in Mexico. Yeah. Yep. Gotcha. And, yep. and I'm assuming same way that that was uh, just pulverizing to 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 all all three of them. You know, at that point. Yeah, and I mean to have him, you know, pass away um, like really unexpectedly and really far from home was 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 crazy that's the part that i remember was that she was like my dad died and he's in mexico and i'm like holy shit you know there's there's no you know i mean it's way before computers and you know what i mean like there's no 
you know, you just got to call Mexico to figure out what's going, you know what I mean? Like it was just, oh, wow. it, was just it was just weird, um, you know, and trying to figure out how to get them home and what to do, and, you know, all that, all that, all that stuff. Yeah. And it hit him, it hit him. It was so unexpected and he was such a big, you know, such a big part of the, you know, my dad is a big part of the family, you know? Yeah, sure. But, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it's, uh, it, it, it hit, it hit him hard, you know, left the, you know, those three ladies all by themselves. Like yeah, unexpectedly, no shockingly, you know, just out of the blue, the dude just yeah. went off the war. Yeah. You know, like what he does all the time, and then he, he, he died. So yeah, it was pretty shocking. Right, it wasn't the end of some long, you know, drawn out illness or anything like that. It was just, you know, again, yeah. just, he leaves and then he doesn't come back. So. Yeah, I and mean, he was, you know, he was gone all the time. He'd go off and do this. He'd go off and do that. Sure. This was just another one where he was just going off doing his thing. Yeah, I got gotcha. I got gotcha. He was a nice guy. Yeah. He was a good dude. He was a really nice guy. I met him a few times. He was, he was just a, you know, he was just a dad. And then there's this weird guy and his friends coming over to hang out with my with his daughter. I mean, he was he was very pleasant. He was very respectful to us. You know what I mean? Like we were. It was like these three or four weird punk rock kids coming over to hang out with my daughter. We're all like right. 14, 15 years, sixteen years old. You know what I mean? But he was he was cool. He was nice to us. He was respectful. We were respectful to him. He was a good dude. Great. That's awesome. Uh, Joe, I wonder if you could tell us, because Jason uh, knew Kathy, but um, I didn't, I, you know, I I came, you know, well after all this. Um, What was Kathy like just personally? I mean, if you can recall, I know that's going back some time, but uh, how she was and I mean, she was, was. you know, she was a good kid. She was, she was just a, you know, 13, 14 year old kid. I mean, you know, going through shit, you know, yep. trying to get through life in Kenmore as, as a, as a teenager, you know what I mean? Or as a, anywhere as a teenager, um, you know, and she was, she was always a very nice person. Like I never had any trouble and she never gave me any trouble. Like we would laugh and joke and, and she was just, you know, it's just, she was just Jennifer's sister. She was a sweetheart. She was a good kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then, you know, first she was Jennifer's sister. Then she started like doing some crazy shit. Um, you know, like after the dad died. Um, right. but she was still just like, like you just knew she was just a, she was just a good kid. She was a really sweet hearted kid. Um, mm-hmm. and she just went down this weird path for a little while. I mean, we all, I mean, I know I've, I've been down, you know, 50 weird paths in my life that mm-hmm. would have ended horribly. Um, but she, you know, she just went down that one weird little path in her life at like 15 and, you know, it just, it just, it was, it was, it it just, it just, you know, ended horribly for her, you know, for the whole time. But she, but she was a good, she was a good person. She was a nice kid. She was just a teenager in the suburbs. You know what I mean? She was just Mm -hmm. a good person. And in, in past articles that mentioned her, it said that she was taking guitar lessons. And I mean, was she is she interested in doing any of that stuff? I mean, I know she she seemed to be some bit artistically or musically inclined. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I you know said before, she was just a kid. She was fourteen, fifteen, and she was starting to, you know, she had wandered off into this weird world, and um, you know, we'd go chase after her every once in a while. You know, Jennifer mm. would call me and go, my sister's lost. You know, she ran away again or she, you know, we think she's over here. We'd go, we'd go find her um, or go try and find her um, over like in the Black Rock area. Um, mm. We'd go mm. try to chase her down. But she started, 
like coming back and it, it didn't last that long. I mean, you know, she wasn't there for like years. It was just a little while. Um, and she started coming back. Um, Freeland played a big part in that. You know, I did my friends, you know, like, mm. like Bloomquist, you know, Mad Speaker was there. Um, Dale mm. Kingston, like, you know, we were all good friends and we were like, this kid needs a little help. And, you know, we were all lost 14 year olds at one point in our lives. So we were like, fuck it, we'll help her. So we were all reaching out to her. Um, and she seemed to be coming around and Freeland was teaching her guitar. And he was trying mm. to, trying to help her. And we were all trying to help her in our own, in our own way. She wandered off. Right, right, yeah. right, right. That's uh, that's the sad thing is I, I mean, I mentioned in past you know episodes just that you know here you have somebody was surrounded by you know guys like you and Freeland and all these other talented people that are like lending her a hand and and showing her little things that might make her life more you know enrich her life. Yeah. And uh, who knows where she could have taken that? That's the part that really just gets me uh, upset. Because that's the, the 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 potential, yeah. That's that's completely squandered. Yeah, you know? I mean, and we were. I mean, you know, you got to think if you're like, say, you're 14, and your, you know, your your sister's friends are, you know, whatever, 16, 17. I mean, they're older kids, and they don't. You just can't imagine that they have any idea what you're going through. You know what I mean? So yeah, we were yeah, like the older yeah. kids, and we were almost. I won't say we were like parents but you know like when you're at that age and you're in that rebellious thing someone's telling you to stop you, you just you know better you know what you're doing you think you're safe you know i mean you're you're invincible at that age um, well something until something comes along and scares the shit out of you and you realize you're not but we were you know we were like the older kids and she you know was like, right. well, friends with my sister so you're biased you know so it was it was a we were really trying to trying to get to her to to, to, to help her and I really think that she was, um, she was starting to accept that help. She really was. She was trying to find her way back, um, mm. from where she had, from where she had been, you know. So, you know, came up. Yeah. Joe, yeah, when you, yeah. yeah, when you talk about, when you talk about Kathy getting lost, obviously you're not talking about, you know, like just being ahead. You know, which which just I, obviously, like a lot of people have made reference to, just because of the connection to Snakeland with her, yeah. with her murder. But I mean, like when when you say like she was getting lost, like what are we what are we talking about? Can you can you speak to that or? Yeah, I mean, my you know, from what I remember, and it was right, right, whatever, forty years ago, um, she went like beyond the Kenmore scene, and she was with this Black Rock crowd, um, and they were they were a rougher. They were rough for a little more serious crew over there. You know what I mean? Like that, mm -hmm. that, that, that black rock scene was a little heavier than what we were doing in Kenmore. Um, right. and I think that's where she kind of got lost in with those, those people over there with that, mm -hmm. with that black rock crew. Cause that's where we would go to look for. Her. We'd go, we'd go into black rock to try to find it because we knew that's where they hung out. Right. And it was, I mean, you know, I mean, we were punk rockers. We thought we were tough and all that shit, but at midnight, mm -hmm. You know, walking around Blackrock, <laughs> a little ten more punks ain't shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? You just, wow, you just wow, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you know, it's just a different world. We were trying to, you know, right. we were trying to right. want to find her. You know, trying to help our friend Jennifer find her little sister. Sure. Yeah. But that—that's yeah. where I mean, when she got lost, she was over in that. She got she got further away from from like what we knew. You know, mm -hmm. you know, what I mean? no matter how much shit you did in Kenmore, you always felt a little bit safe. Um, but you know. Um, Absolutely. Over in Black Rock, it just well, it wasn't the same. I mean, you know, 
Buffalo cops, Kenmore cops is a huge, huge, huge difference. difference. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. It was just a, she just ended up in a very different world, very different world than we were. We knew. And it, I guess it was you know like obviously way worse than much rougher crowd than we had anticipated. Obviously, okay. right. And and uh, any idea like just like how did she get tied in with those people? Just like circles of friends that just mixed together. Yeah, I think it just you know she, I I don't exactly know, um, but that's my assumption is that she was she you know one of her friends you know knew someone over there so they went over there to a party and then she found some you know some guys took a liking to her and she took a liking to them um she had you know a boyfriend whatever you know it's just she just seemed to gravitate towards that part of the world um but i don't know how she found that how she found that part of the world that i don't know so joe i'm assuming from the way you're talking that you know uh you don't think kathy was actually murdered by altimio sanchez no no, I don't. I don't think so. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, no I think that that whole thing um, coming up in the papers and stuff was uh, it was a I mean, if you know, I mean, you might as well take a shot and see if he did it. You know what I mean? It's he was right there, supposedly. Um, but I think that was more of a, you know, like maybe he did it, but let's get her name back out there in the papers and see if somebody feels guilty about watching that shit go down. Um, right. Maybe they'll step up. Um, you know, cause mm. obviously there's, there's a couple of guys out there who were there or a couple of people, guys, girls, whatever, somebody mm. was there and they know what the fuck happened. And hopefully like, you know, I think that's why what you guys are doing is kind of important is because you keep putting her story out there. You keep saying her name, you know, there's a quote by Banksy something where he says, you know, you died, you die twice once when you actually die. And then once when people stop saying your name and, um, it's, you know, hmm. you guys keeping her, her name out there. I mean, if some kid, some guy who's 50 years old listens to this thing and hears me say that she was just a sweet kid and they're like, holy shit, I was there. And then they have yeah. something to say. I mean, you know, you never know when right. it's going to happen. You never know how it can happen or when it can happen. So, and that's, you know. and that's, the, that's how I feel about it, Joe, is that, that there's a, you know, by now. Most of us are are usually parents, grandparents, or you know, we have people around us that we sure. we've grown out of those young years where we're just like we think we're invincible, and now we see the young people, and we can project those thoughts or or, or those yeah. things that you know, like oh my god, you know, that sure. could be my daughter, that could be my son. My feeling at this point is like if you know something or you have an idea what happened. Um, and maybe you don't have all the facts, but you could have a part of the clue that nobody knows. Exactly. Yep. And, and, you know, that could just put this whole uh, thing to bed. Somebody besides the person that did it knows. It's mm-hmm. just, right. you know, you just know it, you know, that there's right. no way whoever did it just did it and then didn't say a word to anybody for 40 fucking years. So, sure. um, sure. you know, somebody out there knows, somebody out there knows something about it. They do. Right. No, no, no. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, you know, I talk to Jennifer often um, and uh, she's, you know, she's off in Arizona doing her thing. She would love nothing more than to, you know, put this shit behind her. I mean, it's still, you know, still we yeah, talk about yeah. it every once in a while. It comes up, you know. Well, to be honest, honest, Joe, I mean, like, that's something, you know, that, <laughs> I mean, shit, me and Aaron have been talking about this since uh, we did the the graphic novel based on this stuff, like, you know, like, you know, a a few years ago now, you know? So, um, but just that, 
neither of us felt especially good about the idea of Jennifer finding out about any of this. I mean, totally honestly, because, I mean, it, it's shitty enough to read. Like, I mean, like you may at least you make a good point when you when you talk about, like, putting the stuff out there in the media and in 2007, and maybe they would have gotten a response, you know, from somebody or something. But, sure. you know, to us at the time, it really just read like, you know, torture. You know, it's like, oh, right. you know, we know who killed your sister. Oh, just kidding. Yeah. No, 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 we don't. You know, yeah. and it's it just it just it just seemed fucking cruel, honestly. And then I was like, you know, I, I really don't want this this woman to have all these wounds ripped back open by like something that we're doing. You know, and it's 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 sure. you know it's hemming and hawing and discussing it. And I, I mean, I think we're doing this stuff for the right reason. But that's I mean that's that's not her her need to uh, to you know to know that. I mean, it's just uh, yeah. I just I just kind of I I'm I'm glad at least to hear a friend of hers say what you just said. You know, I mean, it's uh, it just the 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 idea that sometimes is 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 still just a little. A little upsetting. The very idea that somebody could think we're being exploitive in doing this. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you guys are being disrespectful. I don't think you guys are being uh, like sensationalizing it. Um, I mean, I listened right. to you guys talk about. It. I made sure I listened to this one, but you know, to the one you did talking about Kathy um, before okay. I did this. And if I thought you guys were, you know, if I thought you guys were dicks, I wouldn't be doing it. You know what I mean? Um, sure. So I appreciate um, that. You know what I mean? It's 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 mm-hmm. respectful. You're keeping her, you're keeping her memory alive. You guys defend her. I, I've heard mm-hmm. you defend her a couple times from the shit that came out in the news early on. Um, oh, so, know. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's so. I don't know, man. I mean, if you had somebody who you lost thirty years ago, and there were some, you know, there were a couple guys. I don't know, I don't know if paying respect is the right words to use, but I mean, if you heard some guys talking about her and keeping her you know, keeping her alive um, and still trying mm-hmm. to do the right thing. I mean, you wouldn't be pissed. I don't think, you know, you'd be like, holy fuck, that's actually kind of cool. So I know. I, I guess my, I, my Good. feeling, Joe, is that I get this. Um, I, I We want to do what's right and we don't want to hurt anybody along the way sure. that doesn't need to be hurt because those wounds are so deep. You yeah. know, you just want, you don't want, you're just like, you know, and these are real people with real things that happen, you know, and again, I, when I, like I said, when I feel my, you know, any, if that were to happen to me, you know, I don't know what kind of person I'd be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No shit. Mm-hmm. Yep. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. But, but like uh, I said, I don't think you guys are doing any, I, I mean, I don't mm-hmm. think you're doing anything wrong. I don't. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Thank you. We, um, if you don't, yeah, if you don't feel like answering this, obviously, you know, like you're not gonna, so it's not going to be an issue, but, um, (laughs) no, it's just that, you know, obviously we don't think Kathy was murdered by Altimio Sanchez. Now we have, we've been led to believe by a number of people on social media boards, a woman that I've, I've spoken with, with at some, at some length. But uh, they uh, they all keep pegging uh, the same individual as the murderer, and then three guys, one of whom is is dead uh, now, as as the as the murderers involved in the situation. Like even as you said, even if it's just you know a couple of them were just there, yeah. but you know when the 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 main murderer did his murdering. Do you have do you have any sense that the reason that we haven't had any progress made in 35 years is because 
there's somebody who doesn't want us to? I mean, when I was, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there were a lot of rumors mm-hmm. that went around back in the, you know, back in the, right. right after it happened and stuff. And there were a couple names that were thrown on. I don't really remember any of them, but, sure. um, you know, there was a boyfriend that she was trying to leave and, you know, he, mm-hmm. he was pissed and, you know, all this, all this stuff. But mm-hmm. I, I just don't know. I just don't know what, I don't know what, what went down. I know there were a lot of rumors. I can't imagine that somebody who had a connection to either like the mob or the cops mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. can pull this shit off for 40 fucking years. <laughs> you know what I mean? Gotcha. Like, gotcha. And that, can that really hold up for that long over so many like cops and, you know, like detectives, mm-hmm. the, the, mm-hmm. the different DAs or whatever guys show up. I mean, right, you know, right. every time some new guy comes along and looks at this case, is there some little mysterious dude that shows up and goes, uh-uh, you can't talk about that. <laughs> and they just go along with it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. is, mm-hmm. is that fucking possible for after 40 years? Right. Um, did, you know, maybe early on, did somebody destroy some evidence? I, I don't yeah. know. I'm not saying it happened, but I mean, maybe that's what happened. Somebody early on had a connection and any evidence was somehow put in a garbage can. You know what I mean? It's like there's right. so many scenarios that could happen. That maybe could have happened. I don't know. I'm just making up a story. But sure. after this long, the, you know, I mean, the right. biggest, you know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't think that that would hold up for 40 years. So many well, people. yeah, look at look at the stuff with, you know, Dennis Delano, when he cleared, yeah. you know, uh, people's names and he, he, he got Sanchez for the stuff he did. I mean, mm-hmm. he was lauded as a hero. And, you know, like any, any detective would love to put that, you know, you sure. know, that metal on that they, you know, solved mm-hmm. a cold case that's been haunting a, a community for, you know, 30, 40 years. Sure. So, yeah. And I mean, they show up, I mean, they solve them all the time. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, this shit happens. Right. It just does. So, yeah. I don't know. There were so many rumors and shit that went on back then about what happened. You know, the cops didn't, you know, the, Kenmore's always been like 20 years behind everything else in the world. So sure, like sure. in the, in the eighties, they were like stuck in the friggin' sixties. And it was that, you know, that yeah. she was in the wrong place at the wrong time. She was just a trouble. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Well, that's like all drag, like dragnet or something like that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, so, well, I think, I think your point about the, uh, the possibility of destroyed evidence is a lot more likely than, you know, the, you know, 35 year conspiracy, you know, right. not, you know, self Kathy's murder. I mean, I, yeah. I, absolutely. I think that's, uh, I think, I think, I think that's, that's certainly valid. And there, and there's obvious that there wouldn't be anything that we can do about that at this point, right. but, you know, unless, as you said, somebody, uh, somebody, you know, changes their mind, somebody talks, you know, right. we'll you know, see. So, well, great. Um, I, yeah. I mean, I, I think we've, uh, kept joe talking for enough time oh yeah tonight. yeah so this was this was yeah. good talking to you guys you guys are yeah, right. you you as well this was great joe thanks a yeah. lot sure appreciate it yeah thanks for thanks for coming on and and uh you know if you if you ever want to like you know chime in with any other memories or things that you thought of you know please let us know i mean yeah if you ever get down a, you know get down some weird rabbit hole that you think i might know something about just give me a call I'd be happy to come on again and tell you if I was there or not. 
Return to Snakeland podcast was created by Aaron O'Brien and Jason Gusman. All music written and performed by Dotson Moon. If you like what you've heard, you can access more Dotson Moon music at dotsonmoon.bandcamp.com. If you have any information as to the 1985 murder of Kathy Harold, please contact us at our email address, returntosnakeland at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you have an interest in further historic materials from the period or information on the Return to Snakeland graphic novel, please come see us at returntosnakeland.com. If you would like to contribute in order to ensure the future of this podcast, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com front slash returntosnakeland. Thanks for everything. See you next time.